Welcome to God Mode, Living Life Undefeated. Join us each week as Pastor Chris delivers a message to encourage, challenge, and empower you to live life in God Mode. All messages can be listened to at www.godmode.life. Let's join today's message. Hey, everybody. Welcome to God Mode. So glad that you've chosen to tune in today. It's such a great time that we can come together and just really kind of get into God's Word. You know, this week have just really been heavy upon my heart to begin a kind of a series about leadership. Um, because the reality is this, and this is just a reality. Most churches are not great at developing leaders. And the church, we have to be great at developing leaders. Because how many of you know that when we look around our world today, what our world needs more than ever is we need great leadership. I mean, does anybody else feel like that besides me? We need leadership today. We really, really do. And so what? I have found both working as a leader in the business world and as a leader in the church for some time is this. And I believe this with everything inside of me. Followers of Jesus should be the best leaders on the planet. Why is that true? Why? Why would that be true? Because Jesus is the greatest leadership model of all time. And if you're not a follower of Jesus listening today, that might raise some eyebrows, right? You're going to like, are you kidding me? Jesus is the greatest leader of all time? He is. And I'll prove it to you. Let me just ask all of you listening, just for a second, kind of come along with me. If you're listening to this, raise your hand right where you are. Do you think you are a leader? Just raise your hand. Raise it high, right? Be proud. Now, listen. I can probably tell you, some of you listening today, you probably thought, I'm not raising my hand because we believe that leadership is a position, it's a title, or somewhere on the org chart. But what is leadership? I mean, just think with me, just for a moment, like at its very essence, what is leadership? How would you define it? It's not a position, it's not a title, it's not on the org chart. Here's leadership, and at its very core, this is it. Leadership is influence, plain and simple, which means every single one of you listening today is a leader because everyone has influence. Some of us have more influence than others, but every person has influence. So if you're a single mom or a single dad and you didn't want to quite raise your hand, are you kidding me? I mean, you have more influence over those kids than you ever could imagine. Or if you're a teenager and you're like, well, I'm not really a leader. Yes, you have leadership and influence over the people around you. And maybe you're a grandparent and you're going, well, you know, I used to be a leader, but now I'm retired. Now, now you, do you understand? The next generation is looking more to their grandparents more than ever to navigate some of the choppy waters ahead? Every single person has influence. And if leadership is influence, which it is, no one has influenced our world more than Jesus. And I would argue that there's not even a second close. I'll give you a few examples. 
The whole entire world today keeps track of time based on B.C. and A.D. What does that mean? Well, B.C. means before Christ. In A.D., a lot of us think after death, but it really means the year of the Lord. So why does the whole world consider it the year 2022? It's because the whole world, it is 2,022 years after the birth of one person, Jesus. I mean, what are the most two important, like the most celebrated holidays across the whole entire world? What are those two most celebrated holidays? Christmas and Easter. The birth of one man, Jesus, and the death and resurrection of one man, Jesus. And I could go on and on about the influence of Jesus that many people see. You know, a lot of people see Jesus, who he was, and they wanted to start their own hospitals or nonprofits. And the teachings of Jesus have influenced our legal system all across the world. And I could go on and on and on. But I think John Ortberg put it best. He said this, imagine if you lived 2000 years ago, and you were a gambling man or a gambling woman. I mean, I know not all of you are, but just imagine you're a gambler and you had to put money down on who would have been more lasting, had more lasting influence. The Roman Empire, who controlled the, really the entire world at the time, or a little Jewish carpenter with 12 inexperienced followers. Isn't it interesting that here we are 2,000 years later and we still name our kids after Jesus and his followers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Sarah, and Mary, and we name our cats and dogs Nero and Caesar. I mean, listen, no one, no one, no one has influenced the world like Jesus. So maybe, just maybe, it's time that when we want to talk about leadership and what good leadership looks like, Maybe we should stop looking to, well, the world's models, and maybe we should get back to the greatest leader of all time. And that's what we're going to do in this series I'm calling Lead Like Jesus. We're going to look at the leadership principles of the greatest leader of all time. And I promise, I don't care what influence you have today, whether your influence over your friends or your influence over your family or maybe an influence over a sports team or influence over 10 employees, 100 employees, or 1,000 employees. I promise you, you'll be a better leader at the end of this series. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at five things. We're going to kind of look at the heart of a leader, the head of a leader, the hands of a leader, the habits of a leader, and the legacy of a leader. But today, I want to start by looking at the heart of a leader. Proverbs 4.23 puts it in this way, really. He says, above all else. In other words, there is nothing more important in your life. It says, above all else, guard your heart. This is the most important thing you do, is to guard and pay attention to your heart. Why? Because everything. Think about how significant this is. Everything you do flows from what's in your heart. So when we talk about leadership, we have to start with the heart of a leader. What's in your heart? What's your why? What's your motivation for leading? When I started thinking about this week, I thought, you know, I've, I, I just counted up. I mean, there's been so many leadership courses and trainings that I've gone to, and I've read countless books on leaderships in my experience Almost everything that we do, that we train people on leadership today, most of the world's training 
deals with two things, what to do as a leader and how you should do it. This is where most of leadership focuses. Very few trains ever deal with the why or your heart, your motivation behind why you want to lead in the first place. And it's a huge mistake because if you don't start with your why, your how, and your do will always be messed up. So let me ask, what's your motivation? What is in your heart for even wanting to lead? If you boil every motivation down, there's only two motivations. There's really two motivations to lead. And I think Patrick um, he's done the best work describing this in his work, but basically the two motivations for leading are, this one is first called responsibility-based leadership, and the other is rewards-based leadership. And you have one of these two in your heart, and it's going to lead and motivate you in all of your leadership. Let me explain the two. Responsibility-based leadership says this, You feel it's your responsibility to serve and care for the people that you lead. Whether that's your kids, a sports team, whether it's your employees, your friends, you want to serve them. Rewards-based leadership says this. You want to be rewarded by the perks and the power of leading. You want like a bigger salary. You want a bigger place on the org chart. You want people to serve you, to notice you, to like you. Look at that guy, how important he is. Wow, look at her. Look what they can do. I mean, they're just so that you want the rewards. You, The rewards that you think come with leadership that you want and you think that'll be the most fun. So today you're going like, I don't like all the menial stuff I have to do, so I want to jump the org chart so that I can do only what I want to do, right? Give all the junk to someone else, so it'll be super fun. Okay, these are the two, and these are the two basic motivations. Now, when we think about Jesus as the ultimate leadership model, which one of these did Jesus model for us? It's not even close. Everything Jesus did, everything Jesus did was the leading out of a heart to serve others. Nothing he did was for rewards for himself. Now, what I want to show you today as we talk about the heart of the leader is this. When you bend down to serve and your motivation is to serve, God can lift you up to lead. When you become a servant leader, that's when you become a true, a true leader. People want to follow, and there there may be no better passage in Scripture to look at this philosophy and this leadership style of Jesus than what he describes in Matthew chapter 20. I mean, in Matthew chapter 20, what's going on here is Jesus is at the very tail end of his life, and he's going to die. And he's been trying to develop these 12, you know, people around him so that they can take on the leadership when he dies and go and transform the world with his power and the spirit in them. And so he keeps trying to develop in them this heart of being a servant, to be a servant leader. And they're not getting it. In fact, they're following Jesus because they think Jesus is going to become an earthly king with all sorts of riches and power. And they're always jockeying for the top position on the org chart. When Jesus gets into his kingdom, that's why they're all jockeying, because it's just comical how they're not getting it. In fact, in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus tells his disciples for a third time he's going to die. He goes, guys, my heart is to serve. I'm going to lay down my life for everyone. 
And they don't believe it at all. They don't get it. So two of his disciples show up, James and John, and they start doing the jockeying for the top two positions on the org chart. I mean, that's literally what they come to ask. And it's kind of funny because they come to ask and they bring their mommy. I mean, they brought their mom, which... Which means by most theologians believe this, that James and John were probably millennials. Okay, I'm just kidding. Listen, if you're a millennial, I believe in you. I think millennials may be some of the best leaders we have in the future. I really believe that. But listen to what happens, okay? Here's John, and they're coming in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, right? That's James and John's mommy, came to Jesus with her sons. And kneeling down, she says, Jesus, I have a favor to ask you. I mean, she probably said it really nice. Like, I have just this little favor to ask. And Jesus kind of sees through this, and he goes, what do you want? Okay, what do you want? What is it? And she says, well, she says, I want you to grant one of these two sons of mine that they may see that sit at your right and your left in your kingdom. Like when you get big and powerful and rich, I want one of them to be your number one and one of them to be your number two. Why? Because they're reward-centered leaders. They just want the rewards of everything that Jesus can give them. More, be more rich. It's more. And by the way, the mom wants it too. Because in the patriarchal society, if the sons are elevated, the moms are automatically elevated as well. And Jesus goes on and he begins to describe to them, you don't know what you're asking. Because at the end of Jesus' life, you know who ended up on his right and who ended up on his left? Two people on a cross. But they say, no, no, we want it. We can handle it, Jesus. He goes, are you sure you can handle it? Give us number one. Give us number two. And then what happens next is pretty comical. It says when the 10 and the other 10 heard about this, that the two were jockeying for the top positions, they were indignant, which really means they were incredibly angry at the two brothers. Why were they angry? Because they wanted to ask first. They wanted the same thing. So they're ticked now. Everybody's ticked. Everybody's a reward center leader. Everybody's jockeying for power and giving, getting more money and riches. And Jesus sees all of this. And he's literally in that moment, he calls a timeout and has a leadership conference. I mean, it's what he does. And at this leadership conference, Jesus tells us the heart of a true leader. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus called them all together. Guys, we're having this leadership conference right now. And he says, you know, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. What, what's Jesus saying? He's saying, guys, you know, and so that the rulers and the Gentiles, that means the Roman rulers at the times, and you can go read the history books for yourselves, but in Rome, the Roman Empire, every leader from Caesar to the magistrates to the governors to the Senate, every leader... They were a reward-centered leader. They built up their power so they could have more riches and rewards so that they could push everybody else down to get what they wanted. It was all about them. And Jesus said, you know this. And the guys are going like, well, yeah, we do. What do you, what do you think we want, Jesus? And Jesus uses two interesting words, and I just want you to grasp this. He says, to lord it over and to exercise authority, which are... Two compound Greek words that both start with the same word, kata, which means to put down. 
Jesus says, you know that all the leaders around you put everybody else down to build themselves up so they can get what they want. It's a reward-centered style, right? And the guys are like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, right? We want more of it. And the next four words out of Jesus's mouth are four words I think every leader should memorize. Jesus says this, not so with you. Not so with you. I don't want you to ever, ever have a motivation in your heart to where it's all about you. And then Jesus gives us an alternative model of leadership. He he says, instead, because there's a better way, whoever wants to be great, which is the word megas, which means to be significant and important, whoever wants to be great among you must be what? What is it? A servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Two words. One of them is easier to accept than the other, right? Jesus says, you want to be a great leader? It starts with two things. One is to be a servant. What's being a servant? It's someone's focused on doing things for others rather than for oneself. And I think all of us, I mean, I read that and I think like, you know, I know I can be a better servant leader. I know I can. I've, I've got some work to do. And I, I think all of us would probably say, you know, I probably have some work to do. But, but then Jesus uses a second word and I think it's harder to accept. I want you to be a slave. And some of us will say, well, I'll serve, but I'm not going to be a slave to no one, really. I mean, let me think about the word slave means, right? Think about it. Slave means someone bound to obey their master's commands and teachings. If you're a follower of Jesus listening today, and if you're not, you're off the hook. But if you are, are you bound? Are you bound to obey anyone's commands and teachings? You better believe you are. You're bound to obey the commands and the teachings of Jesus. Talking about leadership says servant leadership is not a suggestion. It's a mandate. It's a mandate, which means if you lead for any reason other than to serve others, you will never be a great leader, ever. Why? Because it's impossible to lead like Jesus to influence like Jesus if you won't serve like Jesus. He gave us the model, and he, and he didn't just give us the model. He lived it out. Listen to the very next thing he told his disciples. Not so with you, just as I want to serve you, just as the Son of Man. I mean, he, now he's talking about himself. Did not come to be served, but to serve. Guys, when you've watched me my whole entire life that I've been with you, he's talking to them and he's talking to us. Is there anything about my life that made you ever think that I've been doing this for the rewards? No, I've been doing this to serve. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And in fact, I came to eventually give my life as a ransom for many. I want you to think about the people in your life that have influenced you the ones that have had the greatest impact on you. Here's my guess. It's someone that served you. It could have been apparent that every day you know this, they laid down their life for you. Or for some of you, it's some of you at work. Someone at work gave you an opportunity when no one else was giving you opportunities. And you are where you are today because of that person who was serving you. And for many of you, it's a coach that spent extra time with you and saw something in you that really, really invested in you. 
Many of you a teacher. Everybody else said, you're a loser. Don't give them a shot. They'll amount to nothing. But you had a teacher that poured into you and spent extra time with you. Not for them. They did it to serve you. Don't you want to be that kind of leader? Of course you do. And I do too. But how would we know? How would we know it? What's inside our hearts? Like, am I, am I a reward-centered leader or am I a servant leader? I think there's three markers I want to give you, these three markers to wrestle with. Here's marker number one to whether you're a servant leader or a reward-centered leader. Servant leaders are always trying to make other people look good. And reward-centered leaders don't want others to look good. Only themselves. I mean, have you ever been around leaders that, that they're all about just building themselves up? They never build you up? No. Servant leaders are always building up the people around them. In fact, some leaders want to make you think they're great. The great leaders make you feel like you are great. That's a servant leader. Here's the marker number two. Servant leaders find their approval in one place, God. Reward-centered leaders, they believe that their self-worth equals my performance plus the approval of others. Now think about this deeply for just a moment. If you are a reward-centered leader and you believe that your self-worth is your performance plus the approval of others, you will always make it about you. If you've made up your mind where your self-worth comes from, that it comes from God, you'll easily be serving and lifting other people up. And plus, I mean, think about it this way. How many of you know that your your performance isn't great every day? I mean, is there anybody else like me? You're like, my performance just stunk today. And how many of you know that the approval of others, it's pretty fickle. I mean, people can love you one day and hate you the next day. I mean, man, for me, could you imagine if I based all my self-worth on other people? I mean, for some of you, guess what? I'm only as good as my last message. I mean, oh, oh man, that last message was good. You like it. I love this podcast. It was awesome. You know, but if my last podcast wasn't so good, you're like, I don't know. I think I hate this podcast. I mean, could you imagine You have to decide where you're going to find your self-worth, right? You have to find your self-worth in the approval of others or your performance. It'll always be about you. So we have to decide, who are we serving? Where do we find our approval? You know, it's like the opera singer I read about recently. He was one of the best opera singers in the world, and he did a performance that many believe was one of his best performances of all time. He sold out this huge opera house, and at the end, everybody gave him a standing ovation. They were just clapping like crazy. Everyone stood up except for one person on the front row. And when this opera singer walked off the stage, his manager grabbed him and said, that was one of the best performances you've ever had. And he said, no, it wasn't. It was terrible. And he goes, he said, I mean, how can you say that? He said, everybody stood to their feet. He said, not the one person on the front row. And he goes, who cares about that one guy? And he says, that one guy was my teacher. What he knew is he was going for an audience of one. And as a follower of Jesus, you have to live your life for an audience of one. 
I have to live my life for an audience of one that I'm not trying to get your approval or anybody else's approval. I'm looking for the approval of God and God alone. That's what will help you be a servant leader. Here's marker number three. Servant leaders love hard for negative feedback because it allows them to improve themselves for the benefit of others. Reward-centered leaders, they despise hard and negative feedback because it's all about them. Student leaders, I mean, they love the hard stuff. Hey, give me the hard stuff because you want to improve so that you can serve others. But the reward-centered leaders, they hate the hard feedback. They don't ever want to hear it. I mean, have you ever been around people that are like, you start to give them some constructive or hard feedback and they're like, I don't want to hear it because it's all about them. Then you have to wrestle with these three things. I have to wrestle with these three things. And there's this wrestling to really see where we are. And if you want to know two things that will always fight against you to be a servant leader, these are the two things. One is pride and one is fear. And we understand pride because, you know, yeah, pride says I'm thinking about myself too much. So the answer is to lead more humbly. You know, you have to have humility. And humility is not thinking of yourself less. It's just thinking about yourself less and thinking about others more. But fear is the sneaky one because you say, well, how does fear make me a reward-centered leader? I'll show you. You see, when things around you get a little unsettled, let's say you're at a company and there's some rumors that there may be going to be a layoff or maybe the company's not doing well and you're going to get a little afraid because when you get a little fearful, you know what happens? You immediately turn inward and then it's going to make it all about you. I got to protect number one. And you stop serving others. So when it comes to fear, you have to decide where am I putting my trust? When you fear about what others will do or you fear about how others can be more successful. And trust me, you got to listen to yourself. God controls your future, controls your employment. He controls everything. So you got to keep putting your trust in God. I've got to keep serving others and just understanding that God can take care of me more than anyone around here can take care of me. That's why I love this verse in Proverbs. It says the fear of human opinion disables. If you're all about human opinion, it will disable you. But trusting in God protects you from that when you put your trust in him and say, God, You're in control of my situation. You're in control of my job, my future, everything around me. That will continue to allow you to be a servant leader. So let me ask you the million-dollar question. What are you? Are you a reward-centered leader? You're kind of in it for you and the more money and the more stuff. Or are you a truly servant leader? I need to be reminded that I'm a servant leader. It's not what I do. It's who I am. And the only way to be a great leader, the only way to lead like Jesus is to have a heart of a servant. And that's why, remember, when you bend down to serve, when you bend down to serve, God can lift you up to leave. But the opposite is true as well. If you won't bend down to serve, God may see it fit to straighten you out. I'm telling you, some of you are like, but I see a lot of reward-centered leaders going really high. Yeah? You can go high for a period, but I promise you, the Bible shows this and history shows this, that the most prideful and egotistical leaders 
always have the hardest falls, and you know it. So we have to decide as followers of Jesus that if we want to have lasting influence, if we want to see our world transform, our families transformed, our marriage, sports teams, every area of life, we want to see them transformed. It starts when we lead with a servant's heart. Because remember, you can't lead like Jesus until you serve like Jesus. So what's our challenge for today? Very specific challenge for you. I want you to answer this question. What's one specific way you can start serving others on a regular basis? I mean, start this week to develop a heart of a servant. Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's at church. Maybe it's at home. I don't know, but just begin to serve. You may think I'm not doing a good job serving my family. I don't know what to do, but serve differently. Today, God is speaking to a lot of us and he's speaking to me and he's trying to get a hold of our hearts and say the same thing he did to his disciples in Matthew chapter 20 and saying, listen to me, I've given you the model. And if you want to lead like me, you need to serve like me. So I don't want I want to pray that all of us would go out and have that kind of heart. Can we pray that today? Can we pray as you're listening? Father, I thank you that you gave us such a great manual on leadership, the Bible. It's so full of the richness of how we should actually lead for lasting influence. And God, we we have a lot of models. I mean, there's a lot of classes and training courses out there on leadership, and yet Jesus is the greatest model of all time. And so I pray as we go through this series that you would get a hold of all our hearts, that we would start leading like Jesus so our families and our marriages, our city and workplaces can see actual transformation because, God, we want that in our world. All of us want it. But the only way it's going to happen is when we, followers of Jesus, step up to serve God. Would we be that kind of church and would we be that kind of people? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for turning into God Mode today. I hope somehow your heart was blessed. I hope it was challenged because I believe we should be challenged. We should be iron sharpens iron. And I believe that God wants to use this series to really change all of us to be great influencers in the world today. God bless you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to today's message. You can hear all of Pastor Chris's messages at www.godmode.life. Join us next week as we continue on in this series. Please leave a review of this podcast at podchaser.com.